Is it going to be wet or dry? Hot or cold? What about the wind? Can I spray? Forecasting the weather is a perennial headache for farmers. We report from CropTech, including a look at an app that may help clear the fog. We integrate uh, seven type of uh, model uh, of weather forecast. And with new hair coursing legislation in force for some months now, is it making any difference? It's starting to. It's a little bit slow in that uh, the real impact is seen once we've seen some more offences going to court. Plus, of course, crop, livestock and grain market reports, some timely agronomy advice, and we've been to fat stock. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. December's here, Christmas just three weeks away. Are you ready? No, nor me. And it's getting chilly. The weather forecast for this week a little later. Hello, I'm Steve Orchard. Hope you've had a good week. Last Monday saw the annual Christmas fat stock show and sale at Louth Livestock Market. Congratulations to P&B Hodgson, winning champion beast with their halted heifer, to Jay Warren and V. Hainsworth for their champion lambs and champion young handler Kira Rhodes. Another highlight of the day was the charity lamb donated by Robert Barker of Ponton, which was sold a record-breaking 12 times for an all-time charity lamb high at Louth Livestock Market of 2600 and £35. It was finally bought by Waldsway Meats of Ashby by Partney. While I was at Fatstock, I caught up with director Russell Jeans and asked him how 2022 had been for the market. It's been a good year. We've seen good, good entries of all types of stock through the year and uh, the trade has been good as well. It's been, been positive for the farmers. Prices seem to have held up well. Yeah, they have. We as a market are renowned for achieving good store cattle prices, good fatland prices and good fat cattle prices. Is it always a good thing for you to be sometimes the most expensive market in the country? That doesn't put people off coming because they think they're going to have to pay over the odds, for instance. No, definitely not. What what people pay for is quality. So what that means is there's some tremendous high-quality stuff coming through the market and the buyers are prepared to pay a premium to get that good stock. But I think it's also worth pointing out that all the costs are going up as well for the farmers. And as a result, these prices need to be achieved to cover those increases in costs. Do a little bit of crystal ball gazing as we head into 2023. How do you see the market next year? That's a magic question, isn't it? Um, I would like to think that, like most things in life, where you see increases in input costs they very rarely go down. So I will hope that we'll see increased trade, increased prices to to keep in in check of the increased costs. You know, we're getting new vendors on a regular basis through the year from other markets. And uh, when they come, they realise actually they can get more here. So it pays them to come. Fingers crossed for a good 2023. Thank you, Russell. Pleasure. Thank you. Nice and positive at Laos, and as usual, auctioneer Oliver Chapman reports on last week's sale later. Is it as positive, though, when we consider the effects of the new hair coursing legislation brought in a few months ago? That legislation enhanced police powers to, for instance, seize dogs and equipment and increased sentencing available to the courts. Six months in, has it made a difference? Lincolnshire Police Chief Inspector Phil Vickers. Yeah, it is. It's starting to. It's a little bit slow in that uh, the real impact is seen once uh, we've seen some more offences going to court. What we've seen in terms of the hair coursing season, certainly locally, it's reflected very similarly uh, nationally, is that it's been a slow start to the season. So relatively few incidents reported in August. You'll remember September, the weather was uh, particularly hot. 
so dry land and, and not ideal for coursing. So uh, we saw the lowest number of incidents reported in a September that we've seen for, for over six years. Um, October continued, a low number of offences reported. November, with more rain and, and with the ground now being a little bit softer, we are seeing more um, offences building up again. And the peak typically is always sort of uh, December and January. So yes, it's having an impact. Uh, the police are using those powers, uh, the new powers that police have got available to them. Um, but in reality, the, the impact will be once the offences have got to court. So uh, speaking to colleagues across the country, really positive. The 32 police forces, 32 rural police forces that come together under Operation Galileo share information intelligence about the offenders. And, and we can see we're, we're starting to have some impact and, and it will take a little bit of time. Um, but it's important that rural communities know that we're still committed to protecting them, to preventing those offenders. And, and to taking those offenders to court. So um, it, it's where we expect it to be, and, and I'm quite optimistic about the impact that the new powers will have. Is there more that the police can do? If you had more resources, for instance, I suppose that's an obvious question, if you had a 1,000 policemen on the beat, yes, you could do more. But is there any more the police can do with what they've got at the moment? Yeah, there, there is. We absolutely work with uh, partners in the rural communities and farmers. The thing that I would say, and, and this has been a consistent message, certainly for the past couple of years, has been call it in, provide us with that information early. We had a period where we were getting feedback that people were seeing hair coursing offences and trying to call it in on the non-emergency line on 101. And they were frustrated because it would take time to get through, or it would take time for officers to respond. Well, we've said, and very clearly, that if you see hair coursing, that's a criminal offence in progress. So it's a 999 call. And, and we absolutely sort of reinforce that message because it gives us the best chance of being in the right place. So we could always do more if you have more resources. Actually, it's about being in the right place at the right time. Give us the chance to do that and make that call. I absolutely understand. You know, we go to rural meetings and we meet with farmers and we understand that taking that step of calling 999 can, can feel like quite a big step. But give us the best chance of preventing this offence. And, and, and that's the way that we can do it. Call it in. Thanks, Phil. Joe Musson from the NFU in Lincolnshire now. To be able to call it in, Joe, we need to know it's going on. What are some of the telltale signs that hair coursing is happening or about to happen? Um, groups of vehicles parked in a rural area, um, often near gateways to farmland on grass verges or farm tracks, bridle paths, a cluster of, sort of four-wheel drives or trucks uh, with evidence of dogs inside. And it is a, a particular type of dog as well. Fight hounds, so greyhound, lurchers, that kind of dog. Also seeing those sort of dogs running around a field, often with a vehicle shadowing them so that the chase can be filmed. People gather around as well using binoculars to stop, to stop the hares. Should you have a go at these guys if you see them in action? No, please do not approach them. They are dangerous criminals. Yeah, as Phil Vickers said, call it in 999 or if it's already happened, 101. It is difficult though, Joe, isn't it, to police a rural area and particularly such a vast county as Lincolnshire? We are a very large county, um, yes. And it, it does mean that we might not always get the response that we want to see. But if we do have weeks like the last couple where they really have brought that, that show of force, they brought the equipment and they've made the arrest. Now we just need the, the courts to, to put the icing on the cake um, and really use these, the new hair coursing legislation um, to get these criminals put away. Joe Musson from the NFU, thank you for joining us. Thank you. I guess it's probably never going to go away totally, but we can together make it as hard as possible for the hair coursers. Staying in the fields now, but focusing on the crops with his weekly agronomy advice, Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. 
Yes, good morning to you, Steve. Bit of a nothing week, weather-wise, really, this week. Cold, but not really frosty. Much colder days down in the low single figures. Foggy and murky, but not a rainy, wet weeks. But not drying out as a result of those conditions. And still plenty tacky enough underfoot to stop any thoughts at all of drilling or spraying. Frustrating and annoying, but absolutely nothing we can do about the weather. I ended up taking 83 millimetres of rain through November. And that speaks volumes for the month and the way it panned out, really. So I'm not going to say much more about the weather. Well, I say I'm not, but I expect I do. So a quick do this is going to be. Let's start with all seed rate. Conditions now good to go pretty much everywhere for propizamide. Soil temperatures have fallen quite nicely over the last 10 to 14 days to such an extent that at 15 centimetres or 6 inches in old money now the temperature well below 8 degrees Celsius. Much slower to fall at 30 centimetres or 12 inches and that's thanks to the insulating nature of the soil but widely below 10 degrees down there now. So the soil temperature criteria has been reached for propizamide and because you need fields to be around 80% field capacity or thereabouts in other words a wet soil profile I think you can safely say we've got to those conditions now so just watch the weather forecast though when you're going with propizamide you don't want heavy rain 48 hours either side of application particularly if your drains have already started running in those fields and in those conditions the cold wet soils, you should be able to assume you'll get around a hundred day half-life from the propizamide so you should get activity if you apply now until at least the beginning of March. If you were one of those who went on a month or so ago when the soils were a lot warmer, then I think 60 days is probably a more likely outcome. So if your propizamide went on at the end of October, early November, then the half-life probably gets you through to January. Remember, propizamide needs to be on by the 1st of February, so plenty of time to do that yet. Yeah, it's okay to put propizamide onto a wet leaf if it's straight propizamide um, or on a frosted leaf. But if you've got anything which is contact in there like fungicide or graminicide, you need to make sure you get a much drier leaf. Disease levels in oilseed rate not really changing. The bigger crops are unlikely to suffer from FOMA if that's only really moved in in the last couple of weeks. So prioritise these smaller, more backward crops for FOMA control. Light leaf spot, it's questionable as to whether a fungicide which only protects the crop from it getting any worse, remember, it doesn't control it. Instead, it's worth questioning whether that fungicide is going to do as much good as the colder weather will. So speak to your advisor. It's possible that a fungicide applied routinely and for the sake of it will do more harm than good to the soil fungi, which are all helping us out anyway. If you do have a need to go, then you can pop it in with the propizamide if the leaf conditions are suitable. But if you're using Belcar in the mix, just remember you don't want to be using any fungicide that has a PGR effect. So Teviconazole, Metconazole in particular. Prothiconazole is fine. That doesn't have a gross regulatory effect. So get your advisor just to double check that the tank mix is safe. Also, keep an eye out for slugs. Having said that, some of these thicker bits of oilseed rape are going to stand a bit of grazing. But I read last week, that we're getting this second spring the way the weather's been over the last six to eight weeks or so and that things like fuchsias in the garden and agapanthus are flowering again they certainly are in my garden as it happens so the all seed rape the more forward all seed rape some of them have actually started to put their buds out now there's not much we can do about that but it it is what it is and we've seen this many times before and all seed rape is very very good at compensating so if yours is starting to flower as some of these crops are you can lose that whole main raceme and with little or no yield penalty if the winter sets in and takes it out anyway so don't panic about that's a very good compensatory plant 
but slugs, pigeons, rabbits, hares, deer, herds of wildebeest sweeping majestically across the fens. So get your traps, your kites, your bangers, your crashes, your flashes, your beepers and any other sort of deterrent out there. If you can move those pigeons to your neighbour, that's as much as you can hope for and the best you can do. It's going to be a long winter and they don't know that it's nearly Christmas. Cereals, not an awful lot to report really. Nothing happening really thanks to the weather, but drier again this coming week, but cold and murky. So pick out the fields that will travel if you've got to go back for grass weeds and top-ups and barley yellow dwarf virus sprays and prioritise the thicker crops by the way for barley yellow dwarf virus the earlier drilling if you can find threshold aphids and if they're not already done the later drillings and the late emergers are unlikely to need that treatment for BYDV now the aphids are far more difficult to find now but If you are finding colonies, they may well need treating. It hasn't been cold enough to kill aphids, as you all know. It takes minus six or less, or colder rather, to kill bird cherry oat aphids, minus one, minus one and a half to take out grain and rose grain aphids. But all those little money spiders, they're quite happy down to minus five degrees too. So there's plenty of those about to outnumber the aphids, probably a hundred to one at the moment, as far as I can see. So they'll be munching away all winter. So unless you have to go, there's no need to go out there and make a mess at the moment some very good looking crops out there by the way and plenty of them plenty of transient herbicide damage as i've said before uptake in these wet soils and most crops are are going to grow out of that they're already doing it actually already putting plenty of green leaf on that will in time turn these fields more green than yellow but it's going to be a slow old do because that growth is starting to slow down to a pause over the next few weeks and months still way too wet to drill too wet to spray too wet to travel so not an awful lot that's been done in the last seven days hopefully you haven't got an awful lot more to do so perhaps we should just call it christmas should we let's see what the next seven days bring thank you sean sean sparling sparling agronomy services back same time next week the farming program with our equipped steel stockholders with unbrook industrial estate grantham supplying the region for over 40 years What's the weather going to do this week? It's something farmers need to know, but it's one of the hardest things to forecast. There are apps out there, the Met Office, for instance, and many others. They don't always seem to tell the same story. At CropTech the other day, I had a chat with a company that sells weather stations for use on farm, but also has an app that may help. Thomas Lemaire from Sencrop. Uh, so today we integrate uh, seven type of uh, model uh, of weather forecast and the farmer can choose which one is more accurate for, for his region. He can also have a check on the different radar. So we provide the radar information and he can know what's happened the last three hours and the next three hours. Uh, so it's what we provide today uh, with the Sandcrop app, including the spraying window, because we know for for farmers, uh, spring conditions are really important. Uh, so today we provide a local forecast about uh, wind, wind direction, and also humidity, rain for sure, uh, to, to know when is the best moment to spray. Now you mentioned about stations. Does this mean the farmer has to have stations on their farm or in different fields? How does it work? Yeah, exactly. So farmers have two possibilities. They can buy a station and have it directly in the field uh, because we know that sometimes farmers can have field a few miles away. Uh, so if they want to know exactly what's happened, but they just 
put a station in that place uh, and also they can connect themselves on the other station because Sendcrop is a collaborative tool so you can have access to your station but also to all the network. And where do we go for more information about this? For more information you can uh, go directly to our website uh, and also you can test for free uh, or app. There is a two weeks free trial uh, and where you can connect yourself uh, to the closest uh, station. Thank you very much, Thomas. Thank you. Have a nice day. That's Thomas Lemaire from Sencrop. Their website is sencrop.com. Also at CropTech was Sands Agricultural Machinery, demonstrating the new Infinity sprayer after sales manager George Thompson. So the Infinity has been launched to replace really the Horizon 5,000 and 6,000 litre machines. We've narrowed the chassis up so we can have a tighter turning circle. We've also increased the diameter of our wheel and rim sizes so that we can give better tyre and wheel choices to farmers for obviously coping with the weight and the speed for the machine. And it's got a new drive system, I gather? Yes, so we're now using Bosch Rextroff wheel motors with planetary hubs on the outside of the machine. This um, still gives us 50k drive capabilities. We've now introduced EcoDrive in-field as well, so the engine management you can either control manually by just revving it up as you would like to or in eco mode it revs the machine up and down as it needs it and requires it so that's quite a nice feature for fuel saving as well also we've also introduced the newer lighter boom system so we've just lightened it in certain aspects of the boom you now using norac uc7 boom leveling system so we're using a five sensor system on the machine so follows the contours of the ground far more accurately Um, and we've also moved to a stainless steel spray tank So all the pipework is fixed stainless steel pipework inside the tank. Our rinse heads are all fixed in place, so it gives a better washdown of the tank inside internally, so it's more efficient for cleaning the machine. Um, And all the fittings and fixtures for the spraying system are all directly where they need to be on the machine, rather than having lots of excessive pipework which could hold dirty liquid on the machine. There's plenty more on the Infinity Sprayer at samsprayers.co.uk. Thank you, George. Finally, we all know how much data and information gets produced on farm, but how do you make it understandable and useful when it might be in different formats from different sources and so on? Technology company Yagro exists to deal with exactly that. Dan Jolly, Business Development Director. How do you make all the data usable? So at Yagro, we're guided by a a steering group of farms that represent farms of all shapes and sizes across the country. And they said to us that they wanted an automatic way to be able to have all of their information in one place and analysed so that they can make more informed business decisions off the back of it. So we've built a system that we call our data ingestion engine that automatically can take in information from farms, maybe on their farm management system, the telematics from their combine, Excel, spreadsheets, um, we've notebooks, we've even had pictures of blackboards and we have a way of pulling that information into one place, standardising it, validating it so that you can compare apples against apples and once you've got that foundation of information it's upon that that you can then start drawing insight so whether that be rotational analysis or reviewing nitrogen spend on particular varieties for particular crops pertinent this year with nitrogen prices as they are Uh, procurement reviews so much can be done with farms information that is currently not done because as farms and i'm a farmer son myself we haven't got the time the tools or the technology to do stuff and so that's exactly the problem that we're trying to address here at yagri 
Info at yagro.com. Thank you, Dan. And Crop Tech's back at East of England showground on the 29th and 30th of November next year. To the markets then, our weekly livestock review from Laos auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Morning, Oliver. Morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth, Monday the 28th of November, which was our 93rd annual Christmas fat stock show and sale. Starting with the prime cattle, which saw the judging left in the capable hands of Mr David Wright, they Wright and son of Boston, who picked his champion from the haltered heifer class, consigned by P&B Hodgson to top at 500 pence per kilo and grows £3,146.85. Top price steer goes to the second place steer from TV Davy, which saw a high of 310 pence per kilo, and grossed £2,104. Just a couple of cool cows on offer in the show, so a top for C.A. Oliver at 185 pence per kilo, or £1,457. Moving on to the lambs, and this judging was left in the very capable hands of Mr. Alan Peck of Norwich, with an all-in SQQ of 280.24 pence per kilo, and an all-in average of 273.52 pence per kilo. The champion pair came from the heavyweight class, consigned by Jay Warren and Vicky Ainsworth, which sold away to £460 per head or 860 pence per kilo. The reserve champion lambs came from the same class as the uh, heavyweights, this time consigned by Scrivelsby Farms to top at £310 per head or 626 pence per kilo. On to the cool ewes, and the champion ewe was found from uh, GW Allison of Thorsway, and the ewes all in average this week £129.73. Top this week goes to W Dixon and Son of Caburn at £240 per head. A huge thank you to everybody that supported our annual Christmas fat stock from their generosity through the charity auction and the raffle and to everybody that consigned sheep and the buyers that turn up week in, week out to support the sale. Tomorrow's market will be a store market. There's some store cattle already entered and prime cattle and cool cattle and prime and cool sheep are both required for tomorrow's market. So please do not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market. Thank you. Thanks, Oliver. And with the Grey Market Report, Openfield's Alice Killam. Good morning to you, Alice. Good morning, Steve. Mixed numbers in this week's charts, with stock markets recovering after the sell-off on Monday, which have quietly recovered as concerns of demand and economic woe might not be as bad as some had feared. This had stemmed from several thousand people in China taking to the streets in protest about local lockdowns and questioning how successful their government were at rolling out vaccines. Whilst the situation is still fluid and has definitely not gone away, the headlines have moved away from front page news as order has been restored and certain lockdowns have eased. This is an ongoing issue though, the situation could likely change and potentially very quickly. Demand worries are still a major driving force with regard to ex-farm pricing, though. Importantly, we do have spot export demand, but when you see confirmation that half of the UK free-range turkey flock has been lost, it's not hard to see the slowdown of some local domestic feed homes. In the month of November, Seabot wheat, which is still seen by many as the headline wheat indicator, has fallen 10%. US funds have been selling heavily, creating a short book. There are a few commentators suggesting that they may be oversold with the Black Sea situation far from stable. Essentially, though, those US traders have been looking at a strong dollar, decent old crop stocks and demand concerns, so you can see their negativity. Another good example yesterday with Japan, someone who would normally be a large US buyer favouring cheaper Canadian and Australian grains. The latest on Black Sea grain exports suggests that things might not be going quite as smoothly as before, though. The recent 120-day extension period takes us through to mid-March. It appears that Russia have slowed the inspection process, meaning less boats are currently leaving. 
South American weather remains very mixed. To summarise, the last three months have shown some amazing rain volumes. Brazil have been arguably too wet, but okay, and Argentina the complete opposite, too dry and not okay. Back to the UK trade, and although November is now behind us, we continue to mop up some November wheat. Traditionally, it's a huge forward selling month, so both farmers, merchants and consumers alike all have good cover. We have been clearly hindered by avian flu locally and the smaller UK pig herd, but we continue to be well-placed to export grain. We may also soon see some domestic buyers show their hand and start to buy January or even top-ups for December. The spread between London and French wheat on the futures continues to tell the story of why UK wheat continues to generate export interest. More business agreed this week via the East Coast. Demand issues have also delayed malting barley movements, We are obviously not drinking enough beer, although distilling demand increases. If we see this trend continue, we may see further switching to Laureate, a variety that can be both brewed and distilled over planet, a brewing-only barley. In contrast, milling wheat premiums remain strong. The imported values are just too high, and although German and Canadian is available, limited high protein is the only source currently coming into the UK. Rapeseed markets have had another tough week, the news of COVID lockdowns earlier in the week being particularly bad news for demand. Like wheat, though, markets haven't been exclusively down. Wednesday saw gains of €14, before losing it again yesterday. The monthly chart still shows a fall of nearly 10%. Your prices for this week, feed wheat for January, 233 to 243, February, 235 to 245, and November 23, 220 to 230. Milling wheat premiums are still holding at around 50 to 55 pounds. Barley, February 213 to 223, March 214 to 224, and November 23, 190 to 200. We still have demand for malting barley New Year and beyond. Please call for firm values. And finally, all seed rape, January 480 to 490, but please call for firm values. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks, Alice. The Farming Programme, five day forecast. A damp week under cloudy skies with the rain returning pretty much every day. Daytime highs around 7 for the first half of the week. Light easterlies backing northerly by Wednesday when temperatures drop by several degrees down to 2 or 3 overnight, so frost expected. Finally, congratulations to someone who's contributed brilliantly to the farming programme for many years, former Chief Exec of the National Pig Association, Dr Zoe Davis. Zoe was awarded the prestigious David Black Award at the recent National Pig Awards in recognition of her long-term and very effective contribution to the sector and well-deserved too. Next week, we'll look at what's claimed to be the world's first seeding and weeding robot. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.